Hey everybody, thanks for listening. This is the Fierce Fiduciary Podcast, Episode 6. I'm Brian Beasley, and with me is Dan Alberth. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Brian. Some housekeeping to get out of the way. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It should not be considered individual financial planning or investment advice. For individual advice, please contact your advisor. So... The most common question that we hear and what we see from the general public is, how do I get started? The financial planning process, the investment process seems incredibly complicated and at times overwhelming. And people just don't know where to begin. It's the information overload is insane. And uh, it's just, it, it can be paralyzing for people. So what we're going to try to do today is, one, give people a way to think about these various financial decisions, financial topics that are out there, and prioritize them in a way that they can get the the most traction and the most benefit quicker. And what we call it is our third guideline. We call it big rocks first. You want to put the big rocks in the jar before you put the smaller rocks, before you put the sand, and before you put the water. Um, As we discussed in prior episodes, if you put the uh, water in the jar and the sand first, there's not much room for the big rocks that really matter. That's right. So we want to focus on those higher priority items. So, But before we get into those those higher priority items and, and some of those things that people can focus on to get that traction... We've come up with a way of trying to help prioritize and think about those things. So um, what people might want to do is simply uh, look at a piece of paper or think in their mind about a four box, you know, two by two quadrant uh, situation where you've got four boxes in, in, in on the uh, upper the upper row, the upper left box, you might say that that would be big impact and high probability. And in the upper right, that's going to be big impact, lower probability. Now, skipping down to the lower left, you're dealing with lower impact and high probability. And then the lower right box is going to be low probability, low impact. So as we are discussing these things today, these various rocks someone might want to focus on to get started, they might consider thinking, are they talking about something in the top left, the top right, the top bottom? The, bo- or, the or, top bottom, the top bottom, yeah, <laughs> the the left, the bottom left, the bottom right, and which box are they talking about as they look at these issues and are discussing these issues? In our opinion, the big rocks are generally things that are either high impact on your world or your family's world, or high probability that you're going to have to deal with them, or both. 
And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So Dan, if somebody is finally at a place where they're wanting to get serious and they want to get started with really dialing in their financial plans, their investment plans, all of this stuff, and it's, it's, it's either dropped in their lap and now they're in charge and they need to get serious or it's something they've been putting off and then now, now they want to get serious or maybe it's somebody who's just literally get just getting started in their in their professional life and they maybe just got out of school and they've got their first job and they're wondering what to do. Why don't you help us walk through some of the things they need to focus on first? Sure, sure. Uh, one of the first things to think about is just getting organized. And the way for me, I'm a little old school. I'm a child of the 70s. So I enjoy papers and I enjoy filing cabinets. So if you can take a four drawer filing cabinet and visualize these four drawers and you have each of the drawers in your first drawer, your top drawer, you have all of your expenses. You put your expenses in there. You have a separate file for each of your expenses in that top drawer. Your next drawer down, you have all of your accounts and your contracts and all of your debts in a separate file. So if there's an account number or a contract number, that might be a bank account. It might be an insurance policy like a life insurance policy. It might be a credit card file. So this would be like anything that someone sends you a statement. That's regularly. correct. That'd be considered like an account. Yes. And uh, the expenses would be like bills. That's correct. Yes. Okay. So let, yeah. So the four, the four drawers in my cabinet here is the top one is expenses. The next one, second is accounts. Uh, the third one is your tax drawer. And what you would do there is put all of your tax papers in that drawer and you could have a separate file for each tax year. And that way uh, you can keep all of that stuff organized and you don't need to keep all of your tax files forever. So uh, this is a good way for you to organize all those papers and then shred them as they get too old and irrelevant. And then the fourth drawer is for anything that's important. So that might be copies of legal documents. That might be renter's agreements or warranties or copies of birth certificates or some important document that you have. So if you can create this four drawer file cabinet, I have a, I have a four drawer file cabinet in my basement and that's kind of how I structure everything. Now, not everybody enjoys the paper, and I'm always reminded that technology is moving faster than me and that most of this can be done, if not all of it, electronically. So, uh, yeah. Brian, you, you don't have a file cabinet system like that. Yeah, my, my preference by far is to keep everything digitally. I'd prefer not to have to to handle paper if I can get away with it. And I know there's some people that are, are, are less comfortable than that with that. And some people are more comfortable with that, but um, there's just lots and lots of solutions out there and ways you can do this in a secure manner um, where, where you can have all these, these things. But the main idea is just to make sure that you have access and quick, easy access to 
whatever it is that you're trying to do. So if you have a, a file cabinet, you want to be able to go down and find that tax information quickly and easily. Rather yeah, in three minutes, you want to be able to go and find the document that you want. Yeah. So if that, that, you are just starting out your first job on your own for the first time, you got a, an empty apartment and you've got your cabinet, mm-hmm. it's going to be pretty empty, but it'll help you create that discipline for creating that organizational structure so that you right. can think about things and going forward it otherwise makes it otherwise things are just hidden in um hidden in the internet somewhere if you're a digital person you're not getting paper statements or worse you've got just a pile of miscellaneous envelopes and papers that are just completely disorganized and they're on a big pile on a table somewhere in your house or or junk drawers or in multiple rooms in your house it, yes. can, be, it can be really really hard and stressful when you have that situation. So simply just getting organized um, can can be really helpful. For those of you who are wanting to utilize the internet, uh, I mean, virtually every cloud-based system has some sort of a tool that allows you to store files. You can, and with a, with a, with a the camera on your phone, you can take pictures of documents and upload them to that very quickly and easily. You can use a scanner to scan documents in. You can take the PDFs off of that you pull off. Like when I go to my my credit union account, um, I have to periodically download all the statements, so I have a copy. Because after a few years, they just they don't they don't show them to you anymore. Okay, you might have to contact them and go through some rigmarole to to get access to that statement from three years ago. If you do an amendment to a tax return or something like that, you just want to have access to all those things. So what I do is I just have that all on a cloud-based file system. So those could be Google has drive, Apple has one on their cloud. Um, there are systems like Dropbox. There's uh, Microsoft has a system called OneNote. Um, it, or, or OneDrive, you can do so many different ways. You can put all your things in one place, but this idea of separating them by category that you have, Dan, is it, it just sounds really ideal and, and simple. It's just four categories. That's right. That's right. And it's, it's just the discipline, and it helps eliminate some of the clutter. The only thing I'd, I'd say is that if you're going to be using digital storage, um, one of the things you know we use that for work here. One of the things that we found is that we need to have a common naming convention for those files. So when you upload a file or download a file from the internet and you put it on into your drive that you all share, you want to make sure that it's easy to find those files by what they're named. Sure. So uh, you need to come up with a common way. We use year, month, day, and then the name of the file. And we usually start with, like in our case, we're dealing with a lot of households and families so we'll use the family name and then follow up so you just need to have a way of finding because a lot of these these online tools they have a search tool kind of like a little built-in google search into the in the app itself and if you have a good naming convention you can find things much more quickly that's right that's right that's just something to to consider um so getting started how do i get started it's have an organizational structure and so this could be a great way to start and as we are now, you've mentioned the online tools that are available. Another thing that's very important is security and privacy and making sure that you are backing up your computer. And so if, for example, you have all of your files and you're doing this thing electronically and you're taking pictures, you're uploading the files, 
and you're saving them to your hard drive on your laptop computer and your computer hard drive craps out and now you've just lost everything. So to avoid that, create redundancies. Have a hard a backup. Use a backup hard drive to save that. Uh, save it to the cloud. Use all of those uh, backup and secondary security systems that you can use that are prevalent these right, days. Right. So you've got so you got two layers you're talking about there. You've got number one, you just need to protect yourself against the technology itself failing. So you might consider if you're using electronic storage have it in the cloud and have it on your hard drive or have it on your hard drive and in a backup hard drive you know two that's is, right two is the, the old adage two is one one is none you want to have a backup that's basically what that means and you can do that in multiple ways you can do it on thumb drive on your hard drive and on the cloud have three ways uh you know three ways to store your information or you could um you can just do two different cloud solutions you know some of those can fail whatever um but then you also mentioned this other factor. If you're utilizing the internet, you need, you know, security is a real concern for a lot of folks. And one of the ways to, obviously you want to have really, really strong passwords and security protocols. So um, there's softwares out there that help generate very complex passwords and then they store and remember them securely for you. So you don't have like some, you know, you don't want some file on your computer that says, these are all my passwords and usernames for all my accounts. That's like the least secure thing because if yeah. a hacker gets in there, they're going to find that file. I used to have this sheet of paper in my desk drawer that underneath the book, I pulled it out and it had all my passwords for all the different uh, software that I used. And honestly, I, I would say that that's actually better than having it on a file on your computer. <laughs> but I've seen both. We see people or they're using the same... the. Or worse, you're using the same password over and over and over. Yes. And with in this day and age, computer systems can hack that stuff so quickly, you know, faster than you really think they can. You think you've got some complicated password? I assure you, you probably don't unless you're using one of these softwares out there that generates passwords. So we use one called Dashlane. There's others out there like I think LastPass or 1Password. Um, you mentioned secondary security. So in addition to having this, really great strong password system that's locked up tight as a drum and no one can know or it, it's highly unlikely that it can get hacked in addition to that it's a good idea to have secondary security and what that means is that you've set it up so that you need the username you need the password and then you also maybe you need your cell phone where they text message you a six-digit code right and right. then you enter that in um, and there's other other systems like that that generate codes um, that exist. So all those things are different, but any layer, I mean, if you're putting all your personal information anywhere on a computer or on the internet, you can do that pretty securely using the best practices, but the weak links are almost always somebody uses a password over and over on multiple accounts. It's a simple password that they think is no big deal. And that's how they get hacked. You got to keep this stuff tight. If you're doing, otherwise you got to go old school like Dan <laughs> and get the paper, print it out, and put it in the file, which is absolutely fine. But again, in the, in that file cabinet, what if the house burns down? You don't want to lose those records, so you probably yeah. should have something that's a fireproof type situation at home. And that there's an expense to that too. So that's right. And um, you're leading to the next point correct. is as you're moving on from an organizational, make sure you get a safe deposit box or you have a strong fireproof box in your house to keep those important documents 
that are those originals that have original signatures, like an original birth certificate, like your original marriage certificate, and social security cards, right? Will yes, your original wills, right. your original estate planning documents. You need a place to put that type of stuff, and you don't want to leave that in a junk drawer or in the top of your desk drawer, just laying out. These are important documents that, if there is a fire, you don't want them to be destroyed. Uh, in addition, having a safe, secure location like a safe deposit box is a good place for you to hold if you have any gold coins or silver coins or any heirlooms like your grandma's wedding ring or something like that. And it's just a good organizational tool to help you keep everything organized and everything in its place, so to speak. And it's it's a rare thing, but... You know, it, it's common in America, but it's rare to any one individual that somebody has a break-in. And I, I know people who have um, who have been victimized by, you know, a burglary. And they, they had things they, they thought were hidden. You know, they had hid jewelry in between clothing and drawers. Or they had uh, taped things underneath the bottom of drawers. And mm-hmm. the thing is, the burglars know all those places. So this idea that you're going to just have a store these things that are incredibly valuable, incredibly meaningful to you, and you think they're in a safe spot, unless they're in something that's truly secure, right? Um, you're not going to hide things from like a burglar or a prying eye. They're going to, in all probability, they're going to find them. And worse, if the house burns down or gets destroyed and damaged by a tornado or whatever, you can still lose that stuff. Right. Having it in a secure location is just very, very helpful and yeah. meaningful. And the last thing to mention before I move on from our safe deposit strong box is uh, that could be a really good place to keep a backup hard drive for your computer system. So you have your family photographs are all downloaded or into a hard drive. Right. Grab uh, one of those portable hard drives and, and throw it in your safe deposit box and you've, you're good to go. So uh, moving on from organization we've created some organization for you the next thing you need to be really concerned about is liquidity you've got to well you got to live life and that means you're spending money and you're making money and so you need a place to put that money and that means you got to get yourself a checking account so get yourself a checking account and when you find uh you're looking for a good place to get that checking account it's convenience and ease of use and easy applications and on online tools. Don't go hunting for interest rates at this point. You just need this account to be there to bring in your money and uh, for your pay, your paychecks need to be deposited in it and you need to pay all your bills and you just need that basic checking account. So get yourself. Yeah, so a these are things account. like, like, online access, access to a debit card, the ability to do bill payment from that bank or credit union. It's just making sure that this operating account where money goes in, money goes out regularly is simple, easy to use. If you use mobile, you want to have a good mobile experience with that those people. So those are probably the higher priorities when you're talking about a checking account. That's right. That's okay. right. And so when you go to that bank to set up that checking account, also do yourself a favor and consider opening up a savings account. The interest rates might not be very much, 
but the purpose of this is to just set aside cash that can be used for emergencies. And so this is where your emergency fund can reside, your emergency cash reserves, so that uh, some people are very uncomfortable when their checking account has too much money in it. Uh, because like you said, debit cards, there's a concern that if my checking account gets hacked, they can grab all my money in my checking account. Right. If I try to keep my bank account, my checking account balance very low, that minimizes that the damage that somebody else outside can do from with a debit card. That's correct. That's correct. And so move that money into a savings account and allow it to build up. So just starting out, get yourself $3,000 and set it aside. And that's a good start for an emergency fund. As you get going, you want to consider increasing the amount of cash that you have on hand. But $3,000 is a really good rule of thumb because that can cover the cost of getting brakes for a new car. If there's an accident and you've got to pay your deductible, your insurance deductible, or if an appliance breaks and you need to replace an appliance, $3,000 covers most of those major emergency, small emergencies, I guess. Now, I might be somebody that's wired that I really want to have that higher interest rate, or I might want to um, further protect myself by having those two types of accounts in separate institutions just to mitigate risk of, like you said, if something got hacked. Mm -hmm. um, and that's totally fine if, if the people are open and okay with that level of complexity in and they're comfortable with that, but it's certainly not like a foundational need that you have to have like the highest interest rate on this money or have it at multiple places. You can, for most people, you can have it all in one place just for convenience sake. And that's perfectly fine. Most of the time. That's right. So as we're talking about liquidity, you can get into your savings priorities. So you're mate, you have a job, you're bringing in money, you've got some, you've got your $3,000 set aside in an emergency fund, everything's going well. What are the priorities? How do I go about figuring out what to do with my money that's building up in my checking account? And so the, one of the most important things to do is to try to crush your credit card debt and any high interest credit card debt that you've accumulated to date. Uh, high interest rate credit card, um, high interest rate debts on loans such as credit cards can be a real detriment to accumulating wealth over time. And it's really important to pay those off as fast as possible. Some credit cards, 24% for my daughter's credit card. And here's another way to think about that. Let's say you're, you're in a situation where you've got some balances on a, on a credit card that's getting, they're, they're charging you 24% a year. If you were going out and looking at an investment that could get you 24% a year guaranteed, it'd be your favorite investment because most things don't pay 24% guaranteed these days, oh, right? Oh, right, right. So here's another way to think about it. Maybe play a game with yourself mentally. If they're charging you 24% a year on that credit card balance, when you pay that off, the money you're throwing, you're getting 24, you're saving 20 for that 24%. 
It's almost like you're getting a return on your money by paying off the credit card debt. Get that done. It's a great place to start with extra cash that you have. So you've got your foundation, you've got your checking account, you've got yourself organized, you've got your small emergency fund built up, and you've got now income coming in that's more than you spend every month. Where should that go? Crush the credit card debt. Right. Got it. And you only need two credit cards. You need Why is that? your primary and you need a backup. You need one as a for a backup. So and that's there, all you need. That's all you need. Yeah. There was a time in the past where I had multiple credit cards and I played a game uh, with a car that I purchased years ago and I bought the car on credit card and then I transferred balances from credit card to credit card to take advantage of the zero percent interest. Right. And I ended up having about six or seven credit cards as a result of that little game that I played. Had a lot of complexity added to my life, a lot of statements, and I was doing all of this mental gymnastics that was uh, tiring, to say the least. So, you know, what I see a lot is, is people that have, they've got a credit card from like every retail store they've ever visited. Because in the moment at the register, the, the, the person at the register would offer them, hey, you know, if you sign up for our credit card today, there's no cost, but you'll save 10 bucks or 20 bucks or 30 bucks today. And so for the 10 or 20 or 30 bucks, you'll say, no factor. I'll just, you know, I'll just fill out this application real quick. Boom, I got $30. But now you've got a credit card. And now you've got, like you said, that not whether you use it or not, you've got all that complexity and your wallet's thick and it's just, it's just a bunch of junk to handle and it's not really adding value to your life. Furthermore, sometimes I've seen people who are, I, I see this sometimes with people who are elderly, who maybe it, it happens sometimes with people who, um, where their spouse handled all the finances mm-hmm. and yes. now they're, now they're gotten a lot older and everything was fine when they were all together and then their spouse passed away and it happened to be the spouse that was handling all the finances. And so they go about living their life and they weren't paying attention before to finances and now they're really not paying that close attention now either. And sometimes I've sadly met with some people who they found themselves in debt because they they just were using the credit cards all the time. And it was these store credit cards is where usually that started. So definitely want to avoid those. Yes. Not worth the discount. That's correct. So try to keep it to two credit cards and leave the others alone. For savings, your other priority is you want to take advantage of the retirement plan that you have at work. And you want to make sure that you are at least saving enough to get the match if your employer offers you a match. So, for example, at one employer, you're working at XYZ Company, and they're offering you a 5% match. So you contribute 5% of your salary, the company's going to add in another 5%. Make sure you're taking full advantage of those matches, because that's free money to you. And so it's just, it's just participating in the plan to get that free money. There's no better return than someone somebody just gives you extra money. Free is good. Free is good. And as you move forward, as you're contributing to your retirement, you'll also want to start building up 
your emergency fund. So as we said earlier, $3,000 is a really good way, is a really good amount to seed into your emergency fund. Over time, you'll want to build that up to three to six months of living expenses or some dollar amount that feels comfortable to you. Right. So somebody who works on a commission basis or their income can be really lumpy over time or they might go, uh, or like we've seen recently, there's p- situations where people might not be able to work for a period of months. Right. They've been furloughed. Or, or they the, owned a business and their business got shut down. And when you're the business owner, you got less options than the employees sometimes. So you, that person might want to have a little extra. A little extra in the emergency fund to take care of those lean times. That's right. right. So if you are... So you've got more money coming in yes. than you're spending. That's just a given. What do you do with that money? So far, it's crush the credit card and high interest debt. Participate in that retirement plan at work to the extent, especially if you get some sort of a match from your employer and then work on increasing your emergency fund to some number that really truly makes sense for your household. That's correct. Is there anything else we, we could do with that extra money? After that, you find yourself that you still are able to save. That's when you consider opening up an investment account and starting to set money aside for longer term goals. So this would be potentially just a plain investment account at a brokerage firm. Yes. Where Outside of your retirement money. So this is, this is not the same as my retirement plan at work. This is just I go somewhere and open up an account at a brokerage firm or with an advisor where they help me get it to a brokerage firm and I'm investing my money. And that could be any kind of account available there. You know, that, That's a unique thing to each person, right? So that could be... Uh, a, an IRA, a Roth IRA. It could also be just a jo- an account in your name or joint name with a spouse, that kind of thing. Yes. Yes. Got it. So these are the ways, uh, these are your priorities or your ways of thinking about savings. And obviously the, 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 the assumption here is that you're not spending all your money in the first place. That's right. So congratulations to you on not saving, on not spending all your money. So let me change channels here and shift to the work when the workplace and your group benefits that you get from your employer. Right. So employees going to work, you got a new job. Congratulations. Make sure you understand what employee benefits you're being provided. Take a look at that manual. One of the most important things that you should do is get disability insurance. Make sure you check the box to get disability insurance and sign up for it. And if they do have the ability to offer additional, get that as well. Disability insurance is one of the most, is one of the higher probability events that can really take down your financial situation if you end up being long-term disabled. So, so it's actually a higher probability than people realize it's, you know, I think a lot of people check the box for other types of insurance first, and they don't really think about a situation where they might not be able to work for 90 days or more. Yes. And, uh, what, what that, what's that, that insurance provides just in, it replaces some level of income. That's correct. correct. That's correct. That, so that means you're not able to work and there's still money coming in yes. on a regular basis to help you pay your bills. Um, for a lot of people, 
you know, the average, what's the probability roughly from what you well, read? Well, if uh, from a 25-year-old starting out, they have about a 24% probability between when they start work and when they retire at around age 65. It's about a 24% chance that they're going to be disabled at some point during that time. So it's it's that's, not that's actually negligent. Right. It's actually quite high. So uh, in many cases... I've seen many cases where some of the larger employers would offer like 50% or 60% of your ba- of your salary as a disability benefit. And sometimes that's a free benefit to the employee. And then they have the option to buy up to 70%, for mm-hmm. example. Get that additional coverage and get as much as you can from your employer. Now, does that is that benefit taxable when it, it comes in? It depends. It can be taxable. Uh, it can be taxable to you, the employee, if the employer is making the premium payments. If you are in turn paying for your your benefit, then it's tax free income. And is that usually like a really expensive insurance compared to other types of insurance, or can it is it fairly reasonable? It can be fairly reasonable. Uh, it's. It gets into a bigger conversation that we can certainly go down that rabbit hole on a different day. Uh, but for the sake of this conversation, check the box and get the yeah, coverage. If it's available from your as a part of your employer. group benefits, I mean, for goodness sake, check the box. That's right. And if you find that your employer doesn't offer it, and you and there is no disability insurance for you, make put that on your priority list as something to address later on you mean like talking to the employer and saying hey get me this benefit it's either that or it's going and finding a professional to uh, deal with that yourself and and um, get an individual policy yourself individual disability so make sure the disability is very important make sure we talked about this before with your retirement plans that you're taking full advantage of the retirement plans and you're taking full advantage of that match. We mentioned that before. Yeah. And, and, and just, just one fine point on that. Yeah. Like when, when people sign up for these retirement plans, um, they're provided with this like laundry list of investment choices inside and they feel like it's 15 more decisions you got to make just to get started. They have these, most plans have a default investment that's usually related to the day you retire. It's a good starting point to at least it's not maybe not the 100% perfect solution for you, but for goodness sake, don't let the investment choice keep you from funding that plan. Get started. Go into that default target date retirement fund or whatever. Those are a, a, a fairly appropriate choice to just get you started, and, and it won't necessarily be completely off base from what your financial goals probably are you can always circle back and optimize that later on but for goodness sake don't let that paralyze you and have you miss out on six months or a year of getting that match money from your employer that's right get the money in the plan and and that's the main thing that's correct that's correct so check the box for life insurance make sure that if there is any free life insurance available sign up for it and get all those other benefits and take full advantage of it. You said earlier, free is good. So if yes. there's anything that they're offering you for free, that seems like a no brainer that you'd check the box. That's correct. 
And if you find that your employee benefits package is very robust and there are many things available and some stuff that you just don't understand, put that to the side and keep that in your priority list and circle back around and make sure you spend the time to review those because those benefits can be very, very meaningful and important to you. Yeah, but if you're getting started, these are like the, the, the main things and you, yes. always, you can always circle back and tighten it up. That's right. Later. That's right. So another big item that you need to review is your beneficiaries. Beneficiaries for your various accounts, retirement accounts, and also for any life insurance policies that you have. So you're getting yourself organized. You need to understand who your beneficiaries are for your various accounts and insurance policies. Yeah, we talked about um, in uh, episode two, know yourself, who, what, when, where. Beneficiaries are definitely part of the who equation on any of your financial accounts. That's correct. You may have an old life insurance policy that you you received when you were a child and you're now married and you've neglected to change the beneficiary to your now spouse. Your beneficiary is your deceased parent. That's correct. We see this sometimes also if people have changed marriages, beneficiaries need to be updated. There are stories of people who didn't do that and things became very, very complicated. Yes. And the law is the law too. So you could really hurt your family situation and have things go wrong if you don't have your beneficiaries dialed in properly. Another one is um, people that have children and grandchildren as beneficiaries and they want to equalize it. And then there's another two or three children born and they don't update that. That's right. Some that of the can, kids are not, you can leave children, you can leave children or grandchildren out disinherited if you don't have these things uh, dialed in regularly. So very, very important. That's correct. And the other aspect of your beneficiaries, you can also name what are called contingent beneficiaries. So for instance, you have a husband and wife situation. If they both pass away in an automobile accident and the, the wife was the husband's beneficiary and vice versa, since they're both gone, who gets who's that next? money? Yeah. And if it's next? not, this is a fine point. It's a good point because if it's not specified... It goes to the court. That's right. And then they decide. So if you have beneficiaries that you want, you've got to name them. That's right. That's right. So that's beneficiaries are important. The next thing you want to do to make as you are getting organized and starting out here is making sure that you have your homeowners and your auto insurance policies intact and that you have good policies if you're renting, it would be a renter's policy, not a homeowner's policy. But insurance companies offer all of all of those types of policies. And what's really important is the quality of the insurance company. It's the customer service that they provide. So I would encourage you not to bargain shop and get the cheapest, cheapest insurance policy. In a lot of cases... I, anecdotally, what I've heard is somebody might buy some really deep discount insurance of some kind on either their house or their automobile insurance. And, you know, some people that that's literally the only choice they have, but 
if it's a if it's a difference that's somewhat negligible for your income, you're you're going to have a better experience if you call your insurance company and they go, no problem, handled. Versus, you know, making you jump through a million hoops because they're making you do the work. Yeah, and, I've seen you know, insurance companies fight claims. So a client has gotten into an automobile accident that was not their fault. Right. The other the other uh, driver was uninsurable, and yet their own insurance company is fighting them. We've even had that with our with our health insurance from time to time. You know, as as we've switched, you know, insurance companies over the years, especially in the last five years, where um, my my spouse, my my wife has changed jobs, and the insurance has changed that way. From time to time, we've had actual health insurance companies simply deny coverage or deny claims that were explicitly in the policy or that we had written approval pre-approved yes, and they'd still deny it. And it's just a standard operating procedure for some companies that they're just going to deny first and they'll only really pay out when people raise their hand and are willing to go through the battle. And we've had to do that and we win every time, but it's just another hassle to go through. And uh, in some cases you're worth paying up and having the better coverage. That's correct. That's correct. And sometimes when you're just bargain shopping for the lowest possible price, you may find that you're getting yourself a policy that doesn't cover your, it it doesn't provide sufficient coverage for your need. Right. So for We've example, if you have a $200,000 house, the insurance policy may only cover up to $100,000 in a total loss. The devil's in the details. Yes. Yes. So make sure you have those insurance coverages in place. I'd like to step back here for a second and talk a little bit about communication and sharing. If you're doing, you're living with somebody, you've got your partner, make sure that you're communicating with each other and make sure that you're going through this exercise together. One person may be more equipped because they're, they're finance minded and they, they enjoy the math aspect and they enjoy that stuff, another person may not enjoy it. Don't get sucked into having one spouse, one partner being the person to take care of that aspect. Don't divide. Yeah, I've seen this. We've seen this many times in our careers where you're dealing with a couple and, you know, it's, it's, oh, she handles all that or he handles all that. Or, and, and then the way that nightmare ends is, it, it seems it seems perverse, but a lot of times the first one to pass away is the one that has been handling all the finances. And you have a, a spouse left behind who's just completely unable to deal with that. And they have to start from ground zero learning how to handle all these finances. At they, a really bad time in their life. Yeah, it, they're stressed. They just lost their, their, their spouse. And it's just, it, it can be a year of foggy mindedness. And, and on top of that, you have to deal with all these new decisions and new things that previously he or she already handled for you. And it's just a nightmare. So so start early and share the chores. Take turns. Do it together. Make sure you, you both understand your organizational system, how you're sharing and saving your files, where those files are located, what's in that safe deposit box, how do I pay bills. And what are 
where are my accounts? How is my money invested? Have these conversations together. That leads on to the next item here is estate planning and making sure that your estate planning documents are in order as well. And to start that out with, for young couples especially, the all of these documents are important. The durable powers of attorney. Well, even for single people, and sometimes even more than single people, I would imagine, in some cases, you might need some of these issues taken care of. So it's not just... It, it, for people who are single, they may dismiss this. Oh, I'm single. I don't need to deal with this because it's just point, couples. Brian. Good point. Y- y- you need to make sure you listen in if you're single. All also, people. Everybody. All people need to evaluate and understand their estate planning documents and make sure that they have those documents. Good point, Brian. Thanks. It's your durable powers of attorney. There's a durable power of attorney for health care and for property. And what these documents provide are they allow you the ability to name a person who acts on your behalf when you're not able to. So if you get knocked on the head and you're unconscious, you're in the hospital unconscious, who's making decisions for you? These durable powers allow you to name that person. We see this sometimes with um, also come to, to be very valuable as people really get much older and they're not maybe able to either deal with all their financial decisions or they need a backup to handle some things for them. Um, this is the document for those people. If you're trying to take care of mom and dad, a durable power of attorney for their affairs is more important. And it's way more effective than, say, just having your name on all their accounts. That's like, that's a bad idea. You don't want to have mom. You don't want to have mom and dad and one child of three on all the accounts. That's that, right. That that actually legally creates an ownership situation. It opens up the door to lawsuits and liability issues for mom and dad's assets. Um, you, you just don't want to cross the streams, if you will. But a durable power of attorney gives you that authority and ability without creating the risks. That's correct, and I guess that it makes it. As we're talking here, uh, it's important to engage an attorney at this point and talk to an attorney and make sure you're getting good legal advice advice based on your individual situations. Right. If you're very simple, your situation is very simple, you may feel that you can go online and do it yourself. Uh, other people who might not feel comfortable doing that or might have a more complicated situation it would be very worthwhile to engage with an estate planning attorney and address these issues. Yeah, and there's templates out there on the internet, but I'll tell you this, if you're on the internet, the you don't know what you don't know. That's right. And, it, and there could be little phrases, little questions that legally change things, and they can even change state to state. So you gotta be really careful. I mean, is it okay? Is it better than nothing? Probably but you're just far better off getting a professional to really make sure it's all dialed in. Exactly. So, so it's durable powers. What are some other documents that need well, to be done? you have the will. You have a living trust. You have HIPAA release letters. What's a HIPAA release letter? Uh, that is a letter where um, you give it to the hospitals and that allows them, you're giving them authorization to release medical information to someone. 
Okay. So you, you have uh, all these different documents. It's important to understand them. It's important to get them handled. This is really important, not only for parents to have these documents where they let their kids have that information or other loved ones that they care about, but also if you're an adult child living out of state or even in state, you have adult children, yours adult children probably need these documents to allow mom and dad to know what's up. If that's something they want to do, if that's your intention, because it's not automatic. I mean, there've been horror stories where people had college students living out of state in some states where the hospitals in those states won't discuss like, Hey, the child's over 21. We're not going to give, we don't have a HIPAA release. We're not going to tell you what's going on with your child. And as far as mom and dad and the, are concerned this is my child. They, they live with me permanently. The permanent address is my house in say, Illinois. My child is in another state and they've been in a car accident and they're in a coma and you can't tell me what's going on with my child. I mean, it's, it's something where there's been real legal issues here and there. So having those HIPAA releases can be just a, it can open that door and make things a lot easier in a very stressful time in people's lives. That's right. So moving away from the estate planning, another issue is your credit report and your credit scores. We see commercials about this everywhere. Yes. It's a good idea every year to go through, get your credit report, make sure that the information is current. You have, uh, for example, I know a family whose dad and the oldest son are both have the same name. And for their first 15 years after my, uh, my client's son graduated from college, those next 15 years of his life, as he was setting up his household in that, his financial, his credit information was mingled with his dad's information because they both had the same name. Credit cards got assigned to the wrong person. And so their credit cards, uh, their credit scores got all messed up and it followed them up for when they were trying to get a mortgage. So it, it's something to be mindful of. Uh, having your credit report can also remind you of some old credit cards that may still be out there and active as a reminder to, hey, maybe I should close these things down and just a way to monitor. So yeah, some, if, if there's been an account open falsely in your name, that's where you're going to catch it. And so if you, it, we hear all the time, you know, it's, it's important to track your score and there's all these companies and apps willing to charge you money to do all this. And they say it's so important, so you ought to pay money to do this. Is this something people ought to be doing? Or is there a, a way that they can just do this for free? Can they just go to the credit bureaus? Yes, themselves? they can go to the credit bureaus. And uh, they can. There's, there's all kinds of apps. And like you said, there are commercials. You can go to Experian or... TransUnion and, and grab your reports. So those are the actual credit bureaus, TransUnion, uh, Equifax. Is and, that one of them? Yes. And Experian? Yes. So there's there's those three places. And is it possible that data could be different between those? Uh, they all do things differently. They all, they all communicate with each other and their information may be different. Yeah. Okay, so you want to check, but it's you can get a free report from each one of them periodically. Yes, so that's important to know. You don't have to pay money to check your credit. 
Correct. So that's so that that's a good way of just these are some of the big priority items that if you go through this checklist on your overall finances, it's going to be, you know, that question, where do I start? These things, these things are where you need to start. These are the, these are the big things. So just, just to recap, I mean, back to our, back to our four boxes, our four quadrants that we discussed at the beginning. Um, if you're, if you're patiently awaiting for the answers to the original questions, um, our thought is this, is that in that top left box, that big impact, high probability, that's going to be dealing with issues like retirement, potentially funding and education for someone that's further out. You know, high probability is going to happen. There's a high probability you're going to retire. It's going to impact your life if you get it wrong. Um, when you're selecting where you live, this was a huge topic in episode five, we were, we were, we were talking about this, the, the, the book, uh, stop acting rich, where he's talking about the spending habits of millionaires. One of the biggest factors to whether you can accumulate wealth and do well is, is how you choose your home. Yep. So that's a huge impact and there's a high probability you're going to have to find a place to live. That's right. So, that's right. So high probability, big impact, retirement, right? Education. If you're funding your kid's education, buying a home or where you're going to live. Huge, huge. Right below that on the lower left side is the low impact, high probability type of thing. And you kind of alluded to this earlier when you were talking about the savings account. This is basically emergencies. It's the things that come up that they're not going to completely destroy your world financially, but it can be a real major irritation. Like if your car breaks down. or That's right. You might need a new roof. Your refrigerator might break. Do you have that cash set aside? So having those minor emergencies dealt with by having an emergency fund set up. And having that emergency fund can turn something that's a short-term crisis into just a nuisance. That's correct. That's correct. Um, And it can also uh, prevent you from getting into credit card debt and going into debt. So if you find you don't have the money set aside to replace that refrigerator, well, now it's on credit card and got to make sure you pay that off. Moving up, you've got the right-hand side. So now we're dealing with lower probability issues. Um, the big impact, low probability. So this is the upper right quadrant. These are the things that typically are covered by or can be covered by insurance. That's right. So these are the issues like you described. It's disability. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's... You might it, pass away. You, early uh, you death. Might. um your house gets destroyed in some manner by fire or damaged by fire or tornado or something like that. Um, later in life, you've got long-term care. If you need home health care, if you need 24 hour care, if you need nursing care, these are all things that are, these are big impacts. And even though the priority, the low probability, you want to address those because if any of these things happen, they can take down your entire financial situation and wreck you and it it, it will affect your family one way or the other if you if you are catastrophically ruined financially by a big impact situation that you never dealt with you know this idea of you know it won't happen to me yeah i mean the probability may be kind of low but the impact is so gigantic that it's worth having the, the conversation about these things so 
you know, that that's that quadrant. But those are the big rocks. We say big rocks first. You got to deal with these big planning decisions. And the biggest one of all is probably, Hey, we talked about last, you know, on, on episode five, save 20% of your household income before taxes, you know, whatever that would. So if you let, here's what that means. It doesn't mean that it all has to go in before taxes. What it means to say is calculate the 20%, not on the, on your actual income. So if your salary is $60,000 household or $80,000 household, it's 20% of that number. It's not 20% of your take-home pay. I mean, if you can save 20% of your take-home pay, great, but save 20% and live on the rest. That is a superpower when it comes to being able to do any of these things. You need to have that. But all, all these things are the, it's high impact or high probability. You need to focus on those first. Once you've dealt with these things that we discussed today, then you can circle back and deal with other things. And that's what this lower right-hand box is. It's lower probability, probably lower impact. Will the, yes. will, can these things impact your situation? 100% they can. But here's an example of the kinds of things that would be in this lower right quadrant. It's low impact, low probability that's going to make a difference. Which index fund should I pick for my investment account? Should I pick this S&P 500 fund or this other S&P 500 fund? For goodness sake, pick one and then circle back and optimize later. This is not something you need to get fixated on and waste time on, at least not initially. You need to get those bigger rocks handled first. Which term insurance policy should I get? You know, that one is not as important as just having some. That's right. That's right. right. Don't, don't fight and uh, don't. Don't stop your decision-making process because you can't figure out if you want one insurance company versus the other. Over a $10 difference in premium. That's it's correct. It's just not, you need, to, you need to have the insurance. Does it really matter? Probably not. Another one that's real common right now um, is uh, picking stocks. Absolutely. If you're picking stocks and you haven't dealt with these other big rocks, you need to stop picking stocks. Again, go back to a target date retirement fund that matches your goal or some sort of other thing. That push the easy button on the investment selection part and go back and build your foundation properly. Make sure you're dealing with these other issues because I guarantee they're going to make a bigger impact in the long run having these big impact, high probability issues taken care of. There's people out there picking stocks that don't even have an emergency fund yet. That's right. Life's going to happen. So, you know... Do you need to come back and maybe pick stocks if that's your thing or pick your investments, pick your mutual funds, pick your ETFs, choose your investment advisor, choose your investment strategy? Yeah, but you can do all the big rocks we talked about before you do any of that. So it's not we're not saying you don't need to do it. Here's another one. Shopping for interest rates, bank to bank to bank or CD by CD. You know, that's fine, but make sure the big rocks are taken care of first. This is just lower impact, you know, if you get, Oh, I got 1.7 versus 1.6 because I went to this other bank and back in the seventies and eighties, they give you like some gift for opening up a new account and people do that all the time. I got a new toaster oven or a new, you know, new panini presser or something like that. I mean, it's, I got a frying pan in college. These are, these are, this is called majoring in the minors. If you're putting these things first. Um, the other one is, is another example is uh, choosing, you know, Dan said, I'm supposed to only have two credit cards. What are the best two credit cards? 
right? Circle back on that decision. Pick one, pick two, and go. You can always go back in time and recircle and, and back to this issue and then try to find an optimal card with all the little bells and whistles and perks you like. Maybe you like to travel or maybe you like cash back or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you, that's less of a big deal than having an emergency fund, participating in your 401k and getting that match. And having appropriate insurance amounts. And having your legal documents squared away. Just yes. get, get the big rocks done first. It's really, really important to do all that stuff. And as you're organized and as you have a way of thinking, so hopefully this four-quadrant approach to thinking about things, hopefully this helps folks when they are trying to make a decision or they're at a decision point in their life, they can determine if they need to spend effort and energy at it or if they can kind of cast that decision aside and focus on a bigger decision yeah you don't just because you have a piece of paper in your hand doesn't mean that's the most important thing in your life right this minute you can set that aside you have permission if it's in the lower right quadrant you can set it aside and make sure you deal with those you gotta put the big rocks in the jar first prioritize and then execute that's right. That's right. I'll say it again differently. If I'm talking to a young family, a husband and wife with young toddler kids, and they're arguing with me about what are the best credit card options, and they don't have a will for their kids to name a guardian, that's the big rock, getting the will set up, making sure the beneficiaries are set up. Do they have enough life insurance to take care of those kids? If the breadwinner passes away, those are the big things that need to be addressed before you start shopping credit cards. And it seems like all these things we talked about today are 100% controllable. Yeah, it's where you can focus your energy. You, know, you, don't, you can get all these big rocks done without depending on some outside thing to go your way. Interest rates... Stock markets, viruses, politics. None of that's controllable. Nor does it matter when you're trying to execute on these issues. You can do these, execute on all these big rocks, all these big priorities and get started. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. Without having to worry about those things. You don't have to wait. That's right. So the market's going to do what the market's going to do. And you're getting your statements in the mail. And you see your accounts are down and you're like crushed and you're sweating it out. You're watching the TV and you're watching the market just go down, down, down. And you're losing sleep and you're focusing all your energy into what's going on in the market. And it's just like our, one of our guidelines. Focus on what you can control. You can't control the market, but you can control how much you're saving. You can take that energy and put it toward these big impact items. And making sure that you're spending your energy in the right place. So awesome. Is there is there anything else that we need to f- focus on to help people get started? Or is this a good foundation, you think? I think this is a great foundation. I think it it's worth saying one more time. Save 20% of what you make and learn to live on the rest. And if you do that, then you definitely can execute all all these big impact issues or high probability issues. That's right. Get yourself squared away. So I think that's all we have. 
Thanks for sharing the morning, morning Brian. Morning. Thank you. So, and th- thanks to everyone for listening. If you can, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you'd like to give us feedback or if you have additional questions, please reach us at Fierce Fiduciary on social media. And uh, until next time. Thank <laughs> you.